Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. All right, everybody, good morning. I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show where we talk about the life of a master craftsperson and a paint business entrepreneur. Uh, today is sort of a back to basics show again. Uh, our friends at Purdy have asked me to show you guys how to do the basics, professional style of cut and rolling walls, things like that. We're also gonna talk about the tools, the setups, uh, you know, all that fun stuff that we normally do here. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we're gonna do a little wall demo here and I'll kind of show you my basic standard operating procedure for walls. Number one, a little bit of house housekeeping here at the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, is having a whole bunch of live in-person events this year. Uh, there's gonna be uh, one out, uh, excuse me, one out west. Uh, there's master's classes, the speakers beer all over. There's obviously expo and of course the gathering groups. There's about 25 or 30 of these gathering groups in different states where people get together hybrid local, not only on Facebook, but in person. And uh, they share and they collaborate and they break down that uh, old era of competition. So. Uh, also, I will be in Indianapolis next Monday night and Tuesday for a master's class for Sherwin-Williams. So if you guys are anywhere in the area, uh, contact your local Sherwin-Williams rep. Uh, there will be a meet and greet Monday night and then a uh, uh, all-day master's class. We're talking about estimating and production. And of course, open Q&A, all that stuff, anything you guys need Tuesday. It's going to be an absolute blast there, uh, business building session with Sherwin-Williams. So today, our friends at Purdy, uh, we are a Purdy company. Uh, almost everything we use is pretty there. Our standard operating procedure includes a lot of their stuff. And I'm going to walk you through uh, some of the variety that Purdy has, the things that we've selected for our standard operating procedure, and then we are going to paint this wall behind. So let's talk about the number one most important thing. Uh, I'm going to adjust this just a little bit to show you guys my setup here. So. Uh, uh, my, my pretty rolling box like this, uh, everything organized nicely here for that. Uh, brushes are the most important selection of this sort of thing. Now, Purdy has an immense variety of just about everything you need uh, for all the wall projects. So number one, we have things like Nylox. So Nylox is a, a fine finish brush. It's got beautiful uh, fine bristles, flagged ends, and when we do enameling projects, fine finishing, things like that, that need to be hand done, we will typically use uh, Nylox. Those are just beautiful, beautiful brushes like that. Uh, Chinex, Chinex for more of the rough surfaces. So if you've got highly textured interior walls, if you've got stucco outside, things like that, uh, beautiful, beautiful layoff and these uh, bristles, especially the Chinex is, uh, is super, super tough bristles like that. Adjust this up just a little bit here. So, Staining brushes. There is Syntox, there is Oxhair, there's a whole variety of things you can use for waterborne, elkid stains, things like that. Even things like white bristle, which is a natural bristle brush that you can use for elkids and solvent-based stains, things like that. Um, obviously today we're talking about wall painting, we're not going to get into that, but again, an immense variety of brushes like that uh, for all of your staining. Just the dust. 
And then clear cuts. Clear cuts is kind of, uh, in, in my mind, uh, when I put it in the lexicon of all the brushes, kind of a great all around, inside, outside. It has a lot of combinations of, uh, of all the great things. It's stiff enough, it's soft enough. It's kind of like the, uh, in, in my mind, when I put it in the, again, the lexicon of all the brushes, sort of like the multi-tool of all that stuff. Great all around brush. But today, the star of the show, the one that I have selected years and years and years ago is the Pro Extra. Um, they tend to be a little stiffer. Um, they clean out really, really easily. Uh, I feel that they have um, a really, really good combination of stiff, so you can push some paint around, especially like heavy-bodied water-based paints, things like that. But they got those beautiful flagged ends as well, too. So it does give you that beautiful, beautiful sort of fine finish. And one of the big debates in our industry are, you know, when you end up cutting uh, a section like this up against trim and then rolling, sometimes there can be a texture difference between brush marks and rolling. And people, uh, a lot of the times, take a mini roller and go back over that. What I found, if you follow my standard operating procedure and keep that wet edge, a proverbial wet edge throughout the room where everything dries together, you don't really run into that. So uh, this brush uh, really alleviates a lot of that stuff, which is, I'm a big fan of it. Also, there's a whole variety of different sizes, cuts, uh, handles, things like that. I like the Elasco. The Elasco has been mine. Uh, I, I was brought up with straight cut brushes like this. Angled sash, tons of varieties there too. I use them all the time, but uh, I'm probably biased because this is what I was brought up with in the industry like this. Uh, I also like the long handle of the Elasco. So think about when you're on a stairwell or even when you're just cutting a wall like this. If you have a short handled brush, you're gonna grab it like this and you're typically gonna cut like this. Uh, with the Elasco, if you have that little stairwell where you put an extension ladder up and you just have to reach another six or eight inches, you're not leaning over the ladder. You can actually grab that extra six or eight inches by holding it like a pencil at the end and doing your cut like that too. So for me, it's a really versatile brush. Um, it's universal. Cut, and, uh, cut both sides of it like that. And uh, yeah, it's just been kind of like the workhorse of the company. So whenever we paint exterior trim, we tend to go for one of these. And just about everything we do, walls and ceilings inside, uh, is one of these things, minus some weird sort of specialty finishes, things like that. Big takeaway is tons of variety. You gotta find out what works for you. That's what works for me. That's just the all around. I've never been disappointed like it uh, by it. Roller selection too. So here's the big one. In the world of all the rollers like that, uh, I, I try to break it down in my company for simplicity. We, we don't want people to have to worry about selecting the roller. So what we do in my standard operating procedures, we say when we train people on cutting and rolling, it's that brush. When we train people on painting walls, we tend to use white doves. These are an immensely good, immensely high quality roller cover. Uh, it doesn't shed. These are, um, these are actually woven. So there's a big difference between woven and knit. So uh, roller covers and how they put it together. Basic, basic, simple level. Woven is sort of like the old loom, you know, where you go like this and it's, uh, and it's woven together like this. Uh, think of, you know, when they make carpets and things like that, um, uh, they tend to shed less. Now, my experience with a lot of the pretty roller covers is you're not getting a lot of shedding anyway, uh, but these woven ones, really, you're not gonna find a hair on the wall like that. So just an immense workhorse, beautiful finishes every time. You can get a lot of traffic out of stuff like that. There's the knit roller covers. So uh, these tend to shed the slightest amount. And when I started in this industry years and years ago, there's lots of shedding. And when you go and buy the cheapest roller covers you can, uh, some generic ones and things like that, you will get lots of shedding to the point where you'll ruin your wall. So this is important. Now, uh, knit roller covers uh, are sort of like loops. You know, think of like a cotton t-shirt like this. They have loops and they kind of have just interlocking loops of, uh, of fabric and, uh, and cover things like that. 
They may shed a little bit, but one of the benefits of these things is they're springy, they're bouncy. So think about stucco, think about highly textured interior walls. Uh, sometimes when you really, really wrench on a knitted roller cover, sometimes it can, it can pile up a little bit like that. Uh, with these, you're not gonna get that. You get lots of traffic. So especially on the outer end, when you start getting into the inch, inch and a quarter thick, you know, those big fatties like that. Uh, think about the most highly textured popcorn ceiling, highly textured stucco, things like that. They tend to not mat down. Now you may get a little, uh, uh, a little fiber here and there, but when you're doing like exterior stucco, things like that, absolutely not an issue, things like that. So in, in the whole world of roller covers, basically broken down between knit and woven. Now, we are lucky enough to live in a world where there's tons of extra stuff. We have microfibers, we have Colossus, we have mohair, we have foam, we have all this other stuff. So again, the big takeaway that I want you guys to have is that for all these specialized applications, there is something out there for you. Craftspeople, the mind of a craftsperson goes to testing and we wanna test things and see what works, what doesn't work, uh, things like that. So let me pause, take a look at the feed real quick, make sure we're not missing any comments and we will get right to it here. So thank you everybody for watching here. Uh, I'm gonna get to my painting demo in just a second here. I wanna hit on some tools of the trade, but thanks for everybody watching on Instagram and thank you for everybody watching on Facebook. I'm Prith Fiverkiani and we've got recruiting best practices, paint and training resources, and a bare pro sweepstakes coming your way in this PCA minute. It's recruiting season. If you're wondering where all the good candidates are, we got you covered. There's an entire section on PCA Overdrive dedicated to hiring, recruiting, and retention. Curated from your favorite podcasts, expo sessions, and virtual events, you'll learn to hire and keep rock stars in your company. Just look for the hiring, recruiting, and retention lane on PCA Overdrive. Get your crew field ready faster with PCA's painter training. PCA Overdrive provides free access to painter training videos in English and Spanish. Our training portal offers a more in-depth learning experience through a guided pathway. Each module has an assessment and certificates are awarded at the completion of each level. To learn more, go to pcapaintad.org training. Finally, enter for a chance to win the Bear Pro Painter Sweepstakes. Price includes $5,000 worth of Bear, Kills, Graco, and 3M products. Visit pca.so slash bearprosweepstakes to enter now. Beautiful morning here. We're gonna spend a little time on the family farm. When I get done with this here, all right, let me just make sure we're not getting, missing any questions. And we'll get after it here, folks. I know the painting part is the fun part here, so. <laughs> all right, I think everything is as it should. All right. Mark, happy Father's Day. Thank you very much. And happy Father's Day to all the Father's Day out, fathers out there. All right. So tools of the trade. Again, I like to break it down with simplicity. Uh, Purdy will offer you a, an immense variety of different tools for the job. You know, obviously they have like scrapers, especially some of the long handled ones. You get some good leverage on those. There's the old uh, five in one, seven in one, nine in one, all the variety of those sort of things. There's the uh, brush, or excuse me, the roller cleaners, the brush combs, things like that. And there's also a slew of flexible and stiff putty knives too. So uh, chisels, you know, these are a little thicker, the stiffer ones like this, sometimes used for scraping, uh, sometimes used for chiseling things off of houses. And then there's the flexible ones, the beautiful sort of, the flex ones that I use for sort of interior patching, things like that. Again, sizes, angles, shapes, everything like that is, uh, 
tons of variety out there, but I like to use two and a half to three inch, give or take, especially the angled ones are kind of cool nowadays. Uh, they're light, they're flexible, they're stainless. And uh, when you go for interior patching, you can really, really lay off that putty nicely. You can, even when you're trying to blend in a patch, you can kind of apply pressure on one side of the putty knife and not another. So then you mound up uh, the putty really nice on the end of it. So yeah, kind of my go-to like that. Uh, if we're doing a big drywall repair, we'll go for a bigger one. But honestly, most things and most residential repaints like this, uh, you can just use a two and a half, three inch, give or take. And of course, Purdy sells these, but not for this use. These are uh, years and years and years after I use a brush, uh, you know, a Nylox or something like that. And uh, every brush will reach the end of its useful life. I hate to throw them away because they're still really well-made brushes. And so I typically cut the handle off of one then use them for a cleaning brush. And I, I started using this one maybe a decade ago and things like that. So uh, long past the normal useful life when like a fine finishing brush is done after years and years of service, uh, it can have a new life. And this one stuck with me forever. I love it. It's all rounded on the end, but cleaning brush, when you're doing a trim and things like that, just getting that last bit of dust off there. And of course the workhorse, I love these things. Obviously I've carried around five in ones and painters tools my entire life, but the folding tools are absolutely awesome, which they're compact. Uh, they're easy to use and uh, yeah, so you're not, it, the old proverbial thing is, you know, when you put a big putty knife in your pocket or something, when you bend around and stuff, sometimes uh, the sharp corners can work through the pockets. These are great because you can put it in your pockets, things like that. Uh, but I use a prep pouch actually. So these are just simple little painter's pouches you can find on the internet like this. When I'm prepping interior, exterior, things like that, um, filling my pockets with, with the tools isn't as efficient as putting them in a pouch like this. You can take in and off. And obviously you don't wanna lay stuff around so you have to walk around all the time. So my kind of everyday carry, as people call it, is obviously cleaning brush and my multi-tool. I carry around a standard screwdriver as well too for all the uh, switch plates, things like that. I have a, a snap blade, uh, but we also have just a standard, you know, um, utility knife, things like that. But that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the everyday carry uh, as far as that goes with with prepping things like that. Uh, tape hook as well too. So when I carry around a roll of tape or maybe even extra, I put this sucker on my belt loop. And again, this is light. It's compact. It sits on your hips really well. It's not weighing your pants down, and it's just a really efficient way. So you're not laying your stuff around and sort of just wandering around and doing a bunch of that stuff. So now let's take a look at, make sure our cameras are pointed in the right direction here. So obviously every, everything fits really well in my pretty box. Uh, we have roller handles as well too. So we obviously have the tried and true, the nine inch, things like this. I've already loaded this one up with some paint. We have the 14 inch variety, which is the style of the nine inch, but just longer for more efficiency. And of course the big boys, the 18 inchers. So these are adjustable. So you can use a, a variety of different uh, roller covers on them like that. Um, and uh, when we're doing larger rooms, things like that, or commercial work, these things are just immense workhorses uh, for that. You can obviously tell that these are the, these are the roller covers for that. Uh, one of the really cool things, especially with the Purdy box here, all the poles fit in the back and you got the quick connect too. So, Everything goes really easy on there. You hear the nice satisfying click. Take it off like that. And of course, you know, fold extend. Uh, two to four, four to eight is normally what I do, but two to four is, uh, is probably the most versatile. You can get almost most things in, uh, in interiors like that. But yeah, everything fits together really well. Everything's solid. You can really put some pressure on these things and they are sturdy. Pull. Here. And then of course, if we have to cut, if we have to roll and we have the choice, uh, we have the Purdy Pail as well too. So 
Uh, all of these come with liners like this. There's magnets in the back to hold the brush, an area to uh, lay off the paint like that. Uh, really efficient, really solid stuff. And you can tell I've been using those things for a lot of years. And then obviously the pretty nest system with different size um, trays, buckets, things like that. Today, I had my 18 inch with a liner out uh, here. So you can just hold the liner right here. Uh, so that's what we're going to be using today. But yeah, immensely sturdy sort of tools like that and uh, really make a lot of this stuff easy, especially with the liners. You can uh, throw out a liner and you don't have all the crusty stuff building up along in your box like that. So let me check uh, comments right here, make sure I'm not blowing by anything. All right, if not, I think we will go. I'm going to clean out my work area here real quick. And we're going to get to a cutting and rolling. Put my roller bucket up here where we can use the pail. I'll clean up my brush and I will adjust my camera and I will go through my basic standard operating procedure for cutting and rolling walls here. So give me one second. We're dealing with two different aspect ratios here, so give me a second while I adjust. All right, so when we talk about cutting and rolling, um, my standard operating procedure, oops, we're a little crooked right there. All right, so my standard operating procedure for cutting is when you enter a room, you enter through a door, and we typically use that door as a starting place to go clockwise around the room. Basics, 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 the fundamentals of painting is Cut and roll one wall at a time, leave a wet edge, and then you get that beautiful professional finish. A lot of homeowners, uh, they think, well, cutting is the worst part of a project, so I'm just gonna cut the room twice and then I'll roll and that's fine. What you're gonna find is that there's hat banding, picture framing, flashing, it's all those things where there's a difference between what you do here and what you do here. When paint dries, is, is applied and dried at different times, you might get color and shine difference like that. And when you think about it fundamentally, when you're laying down a cut line and then a roller line, if they're not both wet, you're basically layering paint on top of each other, which can lead to shine differences, things like that. So uh, when we walk into a room like this, we would typically start bottom left. We would cut up, over, down, and around like that in a square around the room. And then we would start our rolling process. So make sure we got all the cameras lined up. So what we will do is we will simulate coming into this room. And typically what we would do is we would start on the lower left and we would go up. So this is the debate too. I, I told you guys I would, uh, I would address the debate of slapping versus wiping. So if, if you do not know what those mean, uh, there are two schools of thought or two schools of uh, action that I see in our industry, which is uh, you, you load the brush like this, and then some people slap like that, slap or tap. Some people load and wipe like that. So I was always uh, taught, uh, and the way that I found over the years, that, which was uh, best for me, is wiping. So the, in the typical action, uh, and there's, <laughs> I think we may be overthinking this, but that's what I love about all the master crafts people in our industry, which is when you, when you load a brush, the benefit of a slap or a tap is that you're still having paint on both sides of the brushes. Theoretically, you can go farther. Honestly, uh, I wipe because um, 
if you think about the movements, you you load, you wipe, you tip it up and go to the wall. That's actually less time with the brush in the pail and more on the wall. And I've usually never been slowed down by uh, not having enough paint on the brush. So again, this is minutia. Uh, we're, we're breaking things down to the fundamentals. Uh, but I, that's what I love about the master crafts people in our industry. So I'm a wiper, uh, not a slapper or a tapper. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your comments or, or questions or opinions about any of that. So. Uh, so then we would typically start on the lower left. And what I do is I usually start cutting or rolling in the middle of a section and we'll wipe the paint down and then we'll bring the paint back up like this. And then I usually give it one quick, just brush off like that. And again, the goal is to have speed so that you're moving with the red edge. And I'm gonna get my ladder here. ceiling the fundamental of ceiling cutting there's not that many ways to skin a cat uh, the way that I found and this is muscle memory at this point uh, tens of thousands of times I've had this so assuming that this would be a corner of a room right here it's obviously a closet door but uh, assuming that this would be a, a corner of a room uh, what I don't like to do is to have a whole bunch of paint stuck in the corner so I'll simulate cutting a corner here so assuming that is our wall corner, now what I do is I load up, I wipe, and then I take that half inch, three quarter of paint, I turn it towards the wall, and I'll come out maybe nine inches, give or take like this, and I'll lay down my line, I'll, I'll pick up some more of that paint, and I'll come back and I'll take it out as far as I can, and then infill underneath, the goal being about two and a half, three inches with a feathered edge like that. You don't need to go any more than that because the roller will get within a half inch, inch of a wall. So what I'll do is I'll load up my brush here, and then I'm going to get up there. One of the fundamentals, too, that for the camera, it looks better when I'm here. But when I cut, I get my face right up against the ceiling so I can see over the brush and into the actual corner. Now, we all know, so you're going to kind of get a half of my head right here. We all know that, yes, theoretically, this is the 90 degree corner. But if you've ever put your head where my head is now, you understand that it is not perfect, right? So the artistry, the craftspersonship of this sort of thing is visually drawing a line that's nice and straight, knowing that it's gonna go like this. So that's why to me, if you're underneath your brush like this, looking up like that, you're not gonna be able to see the ceiling line or you're not gonna be able to see the line behind the brush. What I like to do is get above it like this and we'll go out here and we'll wipe a little paint and we'll go back towards our corner. We'll pick up that paint again because we want nice even paint distribution. And we'll take it out as far as we can, and then we infill. One quick brush off like that, and there we go. So I'm going to move my ladder because I want a good head position there. So I'll do a real-time one for you guys here, too.
There, just like that. So the basics of that, and you basically mechanically, robotically repeat that process over and over and over. And I will switch around so we can come down to the corner. Wipe again. And again, we don't want that paint loaded up in the corner or right here. If you start cutting here, you're gonna have a big line of blotch of paint right there. So what I'm gonna do is lay down my paint here, take it back, take it forward, And then we got a lump in this corner by the ceiling, so I'm just gonna wiggle my bristles in there. And then it's basically an up, over, down, around process again, too. So uh, when you're cutting on a wall, assuming we're painting this other wall, I like to go a quarter inch to a half inch onto the other wall to make sure you're not having any um, uh, areas where things aren't overlapped and things like that. So. All right. Just like that, so up, over, down, and then you follow the baseboard, and typically what I do is get any of the uh, outlet covers and things there. Now on Instagram, we can see the full thing, so I'm just gonna finish off this wall quick. We'll go down here. Finish off the corner. Then go along the baseboard. And you know you've done a good job when you overlap a quarter inch at least onto the tape because that means you've filled that um, little gap between uh, the baseboard and the wall. And uh, nowadays with today's heavy body paints, uh, you can actually make up for that little you know, gap down there. So brush stays wet in the pail here, ladder out of the way. All right, roller fundamentals. So, nine inch roller here, and we'll grab a pole, clip that sucker on. Now, uh, I'll tip this down for just a second so you can see what we're working with here. Now, goal of uh, loading up a roller is to get as much paint on there as possible, but you also don't want it uh, to be dripping off, things like that, you want it to be even. A lot of the things that I see homeowners do incorrectly is you just jam it down into the pail, and then half the roller is dripping with paint, the other half is completely dry. You also want to try to keep it off the ends here. You're going to get a little bit of paint here from on the bucket, but you really want to keep a lot of these ends clean because when you roll, those are the things that they spit and they come off the roller, things like that. So I use a basic kissing method. So you come down, you touch the paint and you lift. Touch the paint and lift because that will actually rotate the roller. When you touches the paint and lift, it'll, it'll turn and rotate the roller like this. So every time you kiss and lift, kiss and lift, kiss and lift like that, uh, it'll actually cover another part of the roller with the goal of having even paint coverage all the way around. So kiss and lift. And then I do a couple little roll-offs off there. And now you can see we have mass saturation of paint, but it's completely even throughout all sides there. And our, and our ends are pretty clean too. So let me lift this guy up quickly. Once more, sorry about my hand in the picture here. Uh, let's see, Mark Bamba, <laughs> do you ever adjust the SOP if you have a left-handed painter? All right, so here's the deal, folks. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you can go right to left, you can go clockwise, you can go counterclockwise. The general theory of what we do here is that you have to have a system. So however you start, if you start uh, when you walk in and go left to right or clockwise, do that all the time. If you go right to left or counterclockwise, do that all the time doesn't really matter here. So, all right, now 
the most efficient way to roll. And you can see we still got wet paint, which is great because we're going to maintain a wet edge. What you don't want to do is take a full roller cover and jam it into a corner like this. Because now the problem is you've got a big pile of paint up there and you can't roll it out because we're limited by the ceilings and the corners. So my goal, and, and this is a brand new roller cover, so it usually takes about three or four dips to get it fully saturated and ready to go. But when it is, think about nine inch, nine inch, nine inch, give or take like that. Three roller widths in a eight foot, nine foot room. That would be my goal for one roller filled with paint, give or take. The first couple ones we do, we probably won't get that one or two, but by the end, we should be able to get three like that. So my general idea is when you start rolling, you come over to the second one, you come over about 12 inches down like that, you lay down your paint stripe, roll it to the left, roll it to the right like that. Remember, just like with cutting, we start somewhere in the middle of where we're gonna go and we work the paint backwards, work the paint forwards, and that's how you get that even sheen. So I'll, I'll kiss and lift a few more times here. Just to make sure we have enough paint, we'll start here and lay down our paint stripe. And what I like to do is full floor to ceiling strokes like this. So now we've reached our corner, and notice I'm not lifting this roller off the wall. I'm going back through, I'm picking up that stripe of paint, it gives me a little new life, and look at that. Three roller fills with paint, just like that. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good outcome for something like this. Final step in my SOP is to lay it off in one direction. So I go top to bottom, one direction like this, So why do we do that? You technically don't need to, you can get a really good finish. What you're trying to eliminate is that seesaw W pattern like this. When you press really hard on a roller and you come down and come up and come down, sometimes you can actually grain the paint and the light will pick that up, especially when we have you know, overhead can lights, uh, things like that. So that might be unnecessary, but again, when you're going for a professional finish, when a client uh, hires you to do something, they expect it to be something better that they can do themselves. Uh, and that's what we get. Uh, we want a nice even sheen. So right now, this is a beautiful outcome. First coat, we're going deep color over light color. I see a few areas where obviously, you know, the dark color doesn't cover perfectly, but it is even coverage. My SOP is always two coats anyway, so this is absolutely a perfect outcome for that. You can see wet edge, wet edge, and when this all dries together, you get that beautiful, beautiful professional finish. So I will do one more in real time here for you guys. And typically when I get into a corner, I like to face my roller uh, with the metal frame away from the corner so we don't scrape the wall. And then also I like to have uh, my working side into the corner like this so we can get a little bit closer with the roller cover. It's very important that, and you'll see this with young apprentices and homeowners where uh, there's an art to getting you know, leverage like this, but then not, not weighting one side of the roller to get those worms. You know? So typically you've seen some things like this where on the outer edge of something, you get some pretty good coverage, but then you get a big, heavy kind of worm of paint or roll of paint, things like that. That's what you don't want. And it's an art to actually keep even, even pressure over the entire roller so that you don't get those crazy worms and things like that. So now, I'll, again, I'll rotate myself like this so I can get the roller cover right in here. So I apologize for the back of my head on this shot, but lay down the stripe. Now I'll go back over, remember, not taking my roller off the wall, floor to ceiling motions, no choppiness, and we're gonna see if we can spread this all the way to the corner. 
Hey there, I bet business is probably picking up for you right now and things are feeling good. And using the right tools like Estimate Rocket can help keep it that way. Estimate Rocket offers professional estimates and proposals with digital signature, single source work orders for the entire team, lead to paid job management, full scheduling tools with mapping and time tracking, automated email campaigns, invoicing that exports to any accounting system, and deep data analysis reports. Go to EstimateRocket.com for a free 30-day trial to see if Estimate Rocket is a fit for you. And that is it, folks. A lifetime of that. that would be, that's what makes up our life, that robotic movement, uh, that even pace, um, wet edge. So many things can go wrong in, in the application of wall painting, right? So this is the easiest sort of version of what we do. This is a eight foot ceiling, standard wall, nothing too crazy. Obviously you have to modify this slightly if you're doing um, big high foyers, stairwells, things like that, but I don't modify it that much. I will still do the same thing, except that in a, I'll do an eight foot section by, you know, an eight foot section, six foot section, give or take, and I'll do those all the way down the wall, move over eight foot sections all the way down the wall, give or take like that. And if you move with purpose, you'll still keep that wet edge and things like that. All right, let's see what else we have here. I appreciate everybody watching this morning. It's a beautiful day here. Yeah, Paul Carlson, I like that. Kevin Smith, I've had homeowners ask me uh, to, uh, I have homeowners see me do that and ask why. Opportunity to flex your knowledge as a professional and builds their confidence. Absolutely, yeah, When even when we have homeowners, uh, where they're going to be doing the wall painting themselves, I'll tell them, hey, this is exactly what we do. Hey, here's a link to a video. Uh, this is the fundamentals. We know that information is not the barrier to doing a good paint job. It's all out there. You just have to consume it. It's the actual doing of it. And obviously experience uh, makes makes a big difference in that. So uh, Eric Fosnock, how you doing today? Joe Connor, Batgirl, you said that is considered, so you said that is considered two coats. Absolutely not. So two coats, with this is this is one coat, it's gonna completely dry. And the SOP is we'll move around the room, two box fans, one pointing this way, one pointing this way, and you'll get this cyclone of air moving through here. You, you do this one wall at a time, one, two, three, four. And by that time, it's typically dry. Uh, in my standard operating procedure, 45 minutes to an hour is the turn time in a room uh, for a crash person. And then basically by that time, it's dry to the touch, ready to go. Uh, technical data sheets uh, say many more hours of dry time, but in 30 years, I've never had uh, any problems with interior painting in finish, quality, hat banding, anything. If we give it 45 minutes to an hour to dry, turn right around, do it again, that would be two coats. This is absolutely not two coats. I never want uh, that to come off as that. Just because I do those finish strokes like that, you're not adding a coat. You're just perfecting the one coat that you already have here. So let me make sure we get this. So the one thing, Eric, one thing you'll find too is that a lot of the paints that we use nowadays are primary paint in one, one coat coverage over same colors or similar colors, things like that. What you'll find with a lot of this stuff is um, Professionals do two coats. <clears throat> Clients and homeowners, DIYers, I don't blame them. All they can say one coat, but honestly, uh, one coat typically doesn't cover all that well. We have white walls that are typically a little bit shiny. We have a uh, premium. This is the, the, the most premium paint you can get. Uh, even with a professional putting it on in one coat, it's still not perfect coverage, things like that. Like, now it looks like it, it's a great even coverage, but still it's not perfectly covering. You can still see 
uh, through the paint just a little bit because there's a crazy color difference and this uh, tough coat I'm using here has some shine to it as well too. Uh, so yeah, professionals will let this dry, at least to the touch, do another coat, and that's how you get that beautiful, even sort of shine. Uh, that's how you get that professional look and all this stuff. So yeah, uh, Mark Bama, great SOPs, thank you very much. Uh, Joe O'Connor, do you back roll uh, when it sets up? So here's the thing, no. You wanna keep this stuff um, with a wet edge, and what you saw me do was what we call not back rolling, uh, back rolling is typically for filling. So, uh, well, hold tight. Um, finish stroking is what we call it, where we want to get all the paint going in the same direction, eliminate any uh, rope brush marks or worms or things like that. So I tip it off. Think about tipping off an enamel finish. I take the roller and go top to bottom. A back roll, in my world, my lexicon, a back roll is, say you have some stucco or some super, super highly textured ceilings and things like that. I would use a sprayer to get the paint on and then a roller to work it into all the pores because typically a sprayer won't fill all the pores. A sprayer is sometimes a very effective method for textured surfaces of getting paint from a bucket onto the wall, but then you need to cover it and mush it into all the little pores and cracks and things like that. So, uh, Ryan Blakely. What brand and line of premium paint? So uh, this one happens to be uh, Sherwin-Williams Emerald. Uh, it's their, it's their uh, semi-gloss finish as well too. So uh, I just wanted to show you guys that when we have a white shiny wall and when we have a premium paint and semi-gloss, you can almost get perfect coverage if you follow this sort of thing. If you take a cheap paint, bad roller cover, bad brush, and you try to go deep shiny color over light shiny color, it is a complete disaster. You could be in that death spiral of three, four, five, six coats, things like that. So yeah, just a, yeah, a really good paint, really good process and uh, really good products to put it on there. So uh, Mark Bomba, do you ever adjust dry time for dark rich colors? Sometimes, but um, typically in Minnesota, what we find is that winter is insanely cold and insanely dry. So actually keeping a, uh, keeping a wet edge is sometimes difficult in winter here uh, because the paint dries so quickly. And, and uh, in the summer, a lot of times people run air conditioning and dehumidifiers excessively here in Minnesota. So sometimes you get a humid day with the windows open where uh, you need to flash it off. You need to get a bunch of fans moving. But typically we find that uh, when we do interior wall painting, we don't run into that crazy like Louisiana, uh, Florida uh, uh, sort of uh, humidity and stuff like that, where it just will never dry and things like that. Um, but yeah, with darker colors, uh, when you add in tint to paint, especially black, I'm looking at black cabinet doors over here, uh, it does change the paint. Uh, it doesn't cover as well. Uh, it doesn't level out as well, and it doesn't dry as fast. So uh, the standard operating procedure for my company, especially with the dark colors when we get in there, is every craftsperson or apprentice is assigned to box fans. And when you're in this room, we need two box fans moving to make sure we get the moisture out of here. Now, not only for the paint, but in the standard operating procedure we use, floor protection goes first, patching goes next, the taping, uh, the outlet covers comes next, sanding, top coat one, top coat two, deep prep. So you can see we stage it perfectly where if we have the fans running and we follow that process, we protect the floor so that we patch. We get those patches on as soon as possible, as soon as possible so that they dry so that we can paint. The standard in my company is a four hour bedroom. And in your first three months, you need to hit that in order to pass sort of your apprenticeship. And what that basically means is an hour and 15 minutes for prep, 45 minutes to an hour for top one, 45 to an hour for top two, and then 45 to an hour for uh, deep prep and cleanup like that, which is infinitely doable. And uh, I think nearly every single apprentice we've had in 15 years 
has passed that in their first three months, give or take, in a standard 15 by 15 foot bedroom with painting walls only. So, yeah. uh, please explain the sanding part of your SOP. So, David, uh, sanding, we only sand the patches. I know there's a lot of guys who sand walls to get them smooth. Most of the uh, projects we do are residential repaints. There's plenty of stipple on the wall. We typically don't have to sand the wall unless somebody used a super inferior roller cover and covered the wall with fuzz, then we'll knock it off with the roller. But when I talk sanding in my standard operating procedure, sanding only the patches that we put on the walls. So we're not there, you know, just sanding latex paint, uh, give or take like that. So, all right, let me make sure we're not missing any comments on IG. Thank you, everybody. Ah, here we go. Mark from Instagram, do you ever hire experienced painters that push back against your methods? Yeah, so um, I am uh, empathetic towards that, right? So if I wouldn't work for another company, I would say, well, listen, I've had a really good track record with this sort of thing. It's an ultra premium uh, look. Uh, it, it, clients really like it. I think my way is good. But what you have to understand is that there's a lot of ego wrapped up in that. And uh, sometimes we're not, as, as craftspeople, we're not open to learning new things. Um, and one of the things that setting proper expectations is a big thing. So when we get experienced painters in my company, the first thing I tell them is, listen, you're here because I want you to share your knowledge. But number one, you have to agree to one thing. I'm going to teach you some things as well, too. And we're going to learn from each other. I want you to show me that you can win doing what we do. Not because I just want to force people to do it, not because there's ego in there, but because we promise a client a very specific thing. My standard operating procedure is built, not because it's the way I love to paint, a little bit, but it's what delivers that perfect product every time to the client. Now, your way is probably good too, but it might deliver something slightly different, right? And it might go against one of the promises. One of the promises that we make is we'll use an LED light to shine sideways across the wall to find defects and then patch them like that. If you don't do that, if you say, well, I don't need that, you say, well, but we promised it to the client and it's actually a really good method. So if they don't see you do that, even if you do a good job of patching, they're gonna say, you didn't fulfill your promise. So fulfilling a promise to the client, building that trust and keeping it, this SOP is all part of it. And typically what we'll do is when I have an experienced painter here and they do our methods like this, all their feedback is, oh my God, that is super simple. There is not any ounce of uh, extra fat on it, no wasted processes, systems, and uh, they adapt to it really well. Uh, typically what we'll do is uh, some of the brighter minds, master crafts people will then have little tweaks along the way about, uh, this certain process or technique or tool or roller cover or brush for a certain thing. And I love that. I'm completely open to it. But the majority of my company is made up of decent human beings who have never been in the trades before and they don't come with that knowledge. So we need to break it down into super simple steps. We buy premium products for them, premium paint. We give them a simple uh, set of instructions to follow, a big supportive coaching system, and we kind of move on from there. So yeah, Mark, good question. I like that. Does your business need more reviews? Nice job can help. Our reputation marketing platform automates review invites to save you time. Reviews are collected and distributed across major platforms such as Google, Facebook, and more. Turn your reviews into customer stories with photos that you can share across your social channels. NiceJob allows you to manage all of this within our platform. Start your free trial today. Let's see what else we got here. Make sure we're not blown by any comments. All right, Kremsko, thank you for uh, taking, talking about the differences in markets when it comes down to dry time and humidity. Yeah, so again, this is one of the things I do push back in the industry a little bit, which is <clears throat> the variability of dry time based on weather 
will change even more in your market than it will from one place to another. Like, yes, Seattle, if you're an exterior painter, you're gonna deal with a lot more rain. And yes, if you're in Arizona, you're gonna have times in the afternoon where it's too hot to paint, it doesn't meet the specs. Yes, that's fine. But even in Minnesota, we have wild variability where we have 45 degree mornings with mist and dew and uh, cool air. And then we'll have uh, 98 degree days with 100% humidity all within the span of 24, 48 hours. So. Uh, that's not unique to us. That that happens uh, across the country everywhere. So I yes, there's differences. I want to point them out, but I also want to tell you that do not let that be the limiting factor in what you do. And if you think that that is the thing holding you back from either a professional finish or a profitable business, it's absolutely not. <clears throat> Acknowledge it, account for it, but it's one of a hundred variables that we have to do like that. So. All right, uh, Jeremy, go in. If there's crown at the ceiling, do you have apprentice craftspeople mask the crown off or freehand? So um, that's a that's a, so I'm a tape company, obviously. You know, so we tape everything like this when we do that because uh, it's easier to teach a uh, an apprentice to tape something and paint it than to freehand all of it. Also, when you run into uh, rolling and stuff like that, that tape protects all that trim from the little spits and oversprays from the rollers and stuff like that. So. Crown is kind of a, a horse apiece. I personally would cut it because you have a stippled wall and sometimes highly stippled depending on how old the home is uh, with the crown there. Now, if I were to come into a room and that crown had to be white and the walls had to be black, I would just take the time to mask off that crown because in the end, uh, yes, we could cut a good line, but if, if any visual defect happens there standing on the ground and you see it, you're going to have to start over. So that's a that's a time where I probably would mask the crown. I would treat the crown like a baseboard or a casing, uh, things like that. But if it's a if it's an off white uh, trim and it's a very light cream colored or tan wall, typically we just have people cut those things. And, and again, it's not because we don't want to tape. It's just because when when a highly stippled wall meets something smooth, even like a baseboard. Um, yeah, sometimes you have to take that brush, even like a ceiling line here, highly textured ceiling, smooth wall. Sometimes you have to kind of go over a bump, under a bump, through a bump, things like that, to visually from the ground when you're looking uh, to make it look good like that. So Aaron Hotstetter, Jeremy, love watching. Uh, good to hear from you too, man. Do you have a job closeout SOP for clients? Uh, some walkthrough that just seems giving a client opportunity to micro pick apart the job? No, that's actually not a great strategy. Um, my theory about that is, is they hired a professional. You should not be asking the client if you did a good job. You should be promising a client a good job and doing a good job. And what we do is we have either a project manager or a painter. If you follow my standard operating procedure, it automatically closes out the job. It ends with a white glove clean, labeling the paint cans, taking after pictures, and then packing up your gear. Um, if you call somebody to pour you a concrete driveway, at the end of it, they do not have a checklist for you to go through and say, I want you to pick apart everything that's wrong with this job. I want you to find all the defects. That to me is you should not be asking a unprofessional, unexperienced person, somebody who doesn't know what you do to pick apart your job. Because if you ask them to pick it apart, they will, obviously, because they will feel like they're not doing their job if they don't. I believe that as professional craftspeople, and if we want to professionalize this industry, you should promise a professional job, deliver that professional job, and confidently look a client in the face at the end and say, we did exactly what we promised. We're really proud of this finish. Here we take. Now, you can, you can open it to any questions, but you should be setting proper expectations right away. Now, I know there's a lot of companies that do this, <coughs> but typically, if you follow my standard operating procedures, the job automatically closes out itself here. So... 
Uh, da, 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 da. Jeremy Gilliland, thank you for that. Kevin Smith, what do you do when you have small bits of paint dripped on the baseboards from a previous paint job? I have problems with masking, bleeding on that situation. Yeah, so typically what I'll do is I'll take one of my razor knives like that, we'll put out a little bit of blade like that, and on top of the baseboard, instead of like cutting it off with the edge like that, I'll actually take that 45 here. Uh, it's got a very sharp sort of like, it's not gonna cut anything, but it's it's a very flat tip. It's about a 64th of an inch and it's got nice 90 degree sides. I'll actually, if this is the, if this is the rib of the baseboard, I will actually take that knife like this, where if this was the wall here, I'll put that sharp end towards the wall and I'll just, just shave like that. Cause then uh, the goal is to remove those specks of paint but not get, and I'll do it for Instagram as well there too, uh, is to shave the paint specks off without affecting the finish. And that's a super effective way of doing that. Uh, and, and typically in our standard operating procedure, uh, one of the first steps is before pictures. And if we have a bunch of previous damage and things like that, we'll actually document that and then we'll ask the client. Now, if it's a speck or two, we'll just get it off, not a big deal. But if the, everything is covered, now we have a separate line item on our estimate that says, hey, here, I noticed this. There's lots of paint all over these baseboards. Do you want us to remove it? Something like that. And we'll just have a price or a time and materials on there for them as, as well. All right. Bonjour to all my friends in Brazil watching on Instagram. And Kevin, I think that might be the last question of the day here. So, all right, everybody, uh, I want to thank our friends at Purdy uh, for, uh, for offering the opportunity uh, to talk about the standard operating procedure, basic tools, things like that. Um, it's been an immense uh, joy to do this sort of thing. You guys know that it's fun to talk about uh, intellectual theoretical things, uh, the business side, the mind of the entrepreneur and things like that. But it's super satisfying and fun to go back to basics because uh, this is what all this stuff is built on like that. So I want to thank the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, for being a great partner in this. Check out their website, get involved with the events. Everybody who knows and loves and watches that's in the PCA, you know, it's a life-changing sort of thing. I don't have to tell you that. You've heard it enough from me. Uh, thanks to our friends at Purdy too, for not only uh, handcrafting a lot of these beautiful brushes that we use, making really good tools for the trade, but also being big supporters of our industry and the PCA as well too. So thank you all for that. We will see you guys in Indianapolis. Uh, next uh, Monday night and Tuesday. And uh, yeah, after that, good luck, everybody. Have fun. And I'll be monitoring uh, Instagram, Facebook, things like that for any questions uh, that you guys have afterwards. Thanks again, guys. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.